So when I was <clears throat> in college, uh, I was friends with this kid. We were, uh, we had a, a bunch of classes together. We were in the same major. And he was from uh, upstate New York. Uh, real, real small town. I'd never, I never, I never went there, but I remember him talking a lot about it. Um, it was kind of in like Western New York, sort of near, near Buffalo, but absolutely not in Buffalo. This was like a real, he described this sort of middle of nowhere little town that he grew up in. And I remember him uh, talking about pretty much hating it, uh, just finding it very tough growing up in such a small little place. Um, he just described a very kind of boring <clears throat> one-horse town, really. And um, he knew I lived on Long Island uh, and not that far from New York City. You know, I told him I could be on, you know, 35 or 40 minutes I could be in the middle of Manhattan from where I lived. And uh, he, he just thought that was the coolest thing. Um, I mean, I grew up in Floral Park. It was hardly Gotham City by any means. Um, but I guess compared to this, this kid, it sort of was. Um, and I remember he'd always be, we'd be working on these projects. So we were supposed to be working on these, you know, class projects, group work. And he'd be always asking me about what's it like in the city. I remember him asking about Madison Square Garden, asking me if I had ever gone to a, a concert there. And, and I had. I think I had been to two at that point. Um, so I was describing them. And he asked me about Yankee Stadium. And I said, yeah, I'd been to Yankee Stadium. He was a big music guy, uh, was asking me about Greenwich Village, were you ever there? I was like, yeah, I was there too. Um, anyway, he would always then kind of compare it to where he was from, which was this seemingly tiny, remote, very quiet, kind of boring little town. But I tell you the thing, the thing he complained most about, which was, was kind of the most interesting complaint, I thought. He, he used to talk about the, the sameness of where he came from. Like, everybody seemed to be the same, according to this kid. Everybody kind of looked and sounded and thought and believed in the same way, um, the same things. And he, he really kind of hated that. He just was kind of a... Th I don't know, kind of a free-thinking kid, I guess. And he just couldn't wait to get away from it. And he loved college for that reason, because it got him away from it. And I think he was kind of extreme. I mean, I never, I never went to where he lived, so I really don't know, but I think he kind of romanticized city life a bit. But I do think he was on to something with that sameness thing. You know, the, the criticism of the country, I didn't really buy that. I mean, I, I kind of love the country. You know, lots of people love the country. But this idea that everywhere you looked, you kind of got the same thing, I think he was, there was something there. Or maybe there was something there. And some, of you, some of you may remember, if you're old enough, uh, there was a priest who was pretty... Uh, pretty prominent back in the 1960s. His name was Father Daniel Berrigan. He was very, uh, really most famous for uh, 
the anti-war movement, anti-Vietnam War movement. And he was a writer and, like I said, kind of, a, kind of an important figure. He's got this quote that I think is pretty interesting. Listen to this. He says, unless you somehow have one foot outside of your culture, that culture will swallow you whole. Sort of like if both of your feet are in the, the place where you were raised and a foot never goes outside of that culture, he said the culture that you were raised in is going to kind of swallow you up. He wasn't saying deny where you're from or deny your culture. Just respect the fact that it's not perfect. Every culture has its limits, doesn't it? Every culture is incomplete. And hopefully we all come from places that we're, we're very proud of and are, and are really great in a, in, a, in a thousand ways. But if we're at all honest, there's probably things about where we come from which isn't perfect. I think if you want to pursue truth and meaning in life, you got to go beyond your borders. And I'm not saying there's no meaning and there's no truth within the borders. Let's hope there are. But not all truth. And I think what this priest was saying was, yeah, you got to always be kind of looking outside and beyond where you're from. And I think in a way that's what that kid was sort of calling out for and his sort of complaint about this one-horse town that he grew up in and, you know, the big lights of a, of a city. I think that's the reason why we should pray. I think in a way that's what prayer is. It's crossing the border. It's saying... I got to find meaning and truth beyond where I'm from. And I think when we pray, it's sort of implicit in that. That's just what we're doing. We're like, I'm looking for something. I need something. And I think only God can help me with it. So I've got to go somewhere. I'm kind of leaving a home in a way. I'm pursuing truth and hope and meaning from somebody else, through somebody else, somewhere else. I mean, I think that's kind of what prayer is. I think it's why the apostles asked Jesus the question they asked in this gospel. They said, teach us how to pray. Because they're watching him. And they can't believe what he's doing and what he's saying and the people he's inspiring, and he's so different. And they want, they want to figure out what that, where does he get this, that different, that difference? Where's that, where's that come from? And they keep seeing him going away, kind of crossing the border. They keep seeing him, it's always like in the Gospels, it's always, we're always being told he went to this faraway place. He got in a boat and went to the other side of the lake to get away from everybody. Like he's going, he's always sort of going away for a little while. 
in prayer. I think prayer is kind of like busting out of your hometown. And again, for the third time, I'm not saying trash home the hometown. I'm just saying it's incomplete. And it should be challenged by God's truth. And we should go to it. And when we pray, we do. You know, in 1976, it was actually April of 76, Bruce Springsteen was on tour. The year before, he had just put out Born to Run, which is really his greatest album, I think, most think. So he's on tour now, and he was down in Memphis. He just finished the show, so it was about 11 o'clock, and he rented a car, and he drove to Graceland, where Elvis Presley lived. It was now about midnight, and he sees lights on in this mansion. The gates are all locked. You can't get in. It's obviously closed. So he climbs the gate and he makes his way up to the house, to the front door, actually. And he gets stopped by security guards. And he's told, uh, well, first of all, Elvis wasn't there. And, well, maybe first of all, you shouldn't be here. It's midnight. So they just kind of escorted him off the property. And he never met him. Bruce never met Elvis, because Elvis is dead a year later. But for 27-year-old Springsteen, who at that point, like his whole life was music. Elvis was it. Elvis was sort of like God. And if, you know, rock and roll is like your religion, shouldn't be, but if it is, then Elvis was like the Messiah. I mean, talk to the, talk to the great musicians, rock and roll musicians. They all point to Elvis. The Beatles, the Stones, Bruce. Bono, they all talk about when they first heard him. It's all pretty much on TV, the Ed Sullivan Show. But he kind of like changed their whole perspective and inspired them to become great music musicians themselves. Sort of like Bruce went to what he believed was the source. And again, if music is what, if music is it, then I get what he was doing. Now, the sad part is often, you know, at a certain point, most of these people realize, all right, as important as music is, and as important as rock and roll is, you know, it's not religion, it's not God. Elvis isn't God, we know that. He died at 42 in a very sort of sad, terrible way. But this notion of like, I have to go to where the source of my truth is, or inspiration is, I mean, that's, what prayer is supposed to be. That's what we do when we pray. So Jesus says to them when they're like, hey, so teach us how to pray. He's like, okay. And he, and he gives them the Our Father. And he says, when you pray, say these words. And we say them all the time. This sort of timeless prayer. But then he goes on the second half of this gospel to other stuff about prayer. That's kind of tough. For me, it's tough. He talks about being persistent in prayer. Like, if you persist, you're going to get what you want. And he gives this sort of interesting little example. 
A guy's in bed at night, his friend knocks on the door, he's looking for something to eat. The guy's like, no, it's too late. I'm not coming, I'm not getting out of bed and getting you bread. And then Jesus says, well, if the guy keeps pounding on the door, eventually the guy upstairs is gonna come down and give him the bread. And it's a total metaphor for us and God and prayer and persistence. So if you pound hard enough and long enough on God's door, he's gonna answer your prayer, right? I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, I've, I've pounded on the door a couple of times for stuff that was really important, and it didn't happen. I don't know, was I supposed to pound, pound harder and longer? He says, uh, pretty much everybody says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Really? Really, Jesus? Like, it's a given? It's a guarantee? If I, if I seek, I'm going to get it? If I ask, I'll receive it in prayer? How about the guy who's addicted to drugs? You know, your grandson who's just helplessly, hopelessly addicted to drugs and the whole world has been praying for him and it just doesn't seem to be getting any better. Well, you keep it, you keep trying, but it doesn't seem to be being responded to. Your daughter has cancer. Some, some little kid has cancer. And everybody you know is kicking the door open, pounding on it, prayerfully, and it doesn't seem to be responded to. In fact, she dies. So then what does this gospel mean? Yeah, the Our Father part I get, but this other part, like I, I'm not comfortable when the gospel doesn't make sense. Most of the time it does, to me. But every once in a while it's like, he's saying stuff and I just don't know. You know, each week when I, I get ready for, um, well, for putting the homily together, up in my room I got a whole bunch of books that are just these resources. Just great experts on the Bible and preachers and I just, I've never had an original thought in my life. I'm the biggest thief ever. I just kind of steal from all these people. And one week, this person is like, man, that's a, I like that, and I'll, I'll do something with that. The next week, that guy was like, eh, he didn't really say much. But thankfully, I mean, most of the time, you find somebody, I find somebody to take from. You know, this week, I kept looking for a kind of a, an interpretation of this pound on the door and you, your prayers will be answered thing. Nobody had anything compelling to say. Like, people tried, but I was like, no, I, I don't. So I don't know. Like, I think sometimes we just have to live with, or I have to live with, and I think you should too, with like, God doesn't always make sense. Most of the time he does, but sometimes he doesn't. Like, we just got to live like God seems to sometimes disappoint. God seems to sometimes be absent. Sometimes it seems like he's like, no, I'm not getting out of bed. I'm not coming down to get you what you want. Because somebody you love dies. And there's no seeming purpose or meaning behind it. 
And we all know people, we all know people who because of that, some legitimate prayer was not answered, they quit. They fired God. You know, they canceled the church. They just walked away from God because God in their mind wasn't there from their perspective. Think about it, like, when else in life are we that demanding? Like, where somebody's got about a thousand, you strike out once and you're done. Like, crazy people would have that kind of an expectation of, of anybody. One screw up and I'm done with you forever. Like, how unreasonable is that? And how many people do exactly that with God? Because the prayer wasn't answered. I mean, think about people we know who we, we would never treat that way. You know, who doesn't have the crazy uncle or the grandfather who's set in his ways and kind of is like, really is from another era, but hasn't at all adjusted to today. So he regularly says stuff and your head wants to explode because you're so embarrassed by something he said. Something that was sort of okay to say 30 years ago. And now it's like, hey, you can't say that. And he's like, he doesn't, he doesn't, he tells you to shut up. And it's like not much you can do about him. But you still love him. Like, are you done with your grandfather because of that? And you're like, no, he's, I love him. He's great in a million ways, but not all. Or a kid. One of your kids who's 30, but continues to act like he's 16. And it's like, when are you gonna grow up? When are you gonna start being responsible? When are you gonna stop being a, a kind of almost a source of embarrassment? And you don't know, and you keep praying, and it doesn't seem to be answered. Do you cancel your kid? Do you fire your daughter? because they haven't lived up to your expectations? Because they've been a disappointment? No, we just gotta, you live with it. Why don't we do the same thing with God when God doesn't seem to be there? And hey, there's all, we also got examples where I prayed like crazy for something and it didn't happen. But now I look at it and I realize the thing I prayed for, I, what ended up happening ended up being better than what I wanted. This job I went for and I prayed like crazy to get and I didn't get it. Well, I got another job six months later and it was the difference. Because I met my wife at that place and that job and my career took off and I had taken the other one or had I gotten the other one that I prayed for, who knows? So yeah, hey, the college, the college I was desperate to go to and I didn't make it. And because of that, I walked away. I was done praying. I was done with God. And I had to settle for some other school. And I went there. And I made friends that I will have forever. And I never looked back. And if you caught me three months before, I was, I was done with God. Because the prayer didn't seem to be answered. So hey, that happens too. Like sometimes what we, we are convinced what we need, we don't need. 
But sometimes it's it's pretty black and white. Like when somebody's really sick and really suffering and you're praying your brains out and it they get sicker and they suffer more and they don't make it and it's not a good ending. I don't know. It doesn't seem to fly with these words in this gospel. Keep pounding on the door and you'll get what you want. Not always. But you don't walk away. It's like, where else are you going to go? Are we going to try and figure out all of life's questions and challenges on our own? Good luck. So we got to step out of our hometown. Not deny it. Not be ashamed of it. But acknowledge it. Yeah, like, I got to always be going to God. Because God's got answers that I haven't. And even God at times is hard to figure out. Go to the source. You know, Bruce went to Graceland. Jesus went to pray. Go to pray.